0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. You may have seen a viral video recently that shows one of President Trump's federal judicial nominees struggling to answer pretty basic questions about how America's judicial system works. Matthew S. Peterson, a member of the Federal Election Commission, faced a litany of questions from Senator John N. Kennedy, a conservative Republican from Louisiana. Here are some of the more painful exchanges from that conversation.
1: Have you ever tried a jury trial? I have not. Civil? No. Criminal? No. Bench? No. State or federal court? I have not. Have you ever argued a motion in state court? I have not. Have you ever argued a motion in federal court? No. And you tell me what the uh, Daubert standard is? Um uh, Senator Kennedy, I, I don't have that uh, readily uh, at my disposal. Do you know what a motion in limine is? Uh, yes, I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm, a, again, my uh, background is not uh, in litigation.
0: Okay, Peterson was one of five of Trump's judicial nominees being questioned. Also last week, two other judicial nominees withdrew from the process. But despite these recent embarrassments. As Maris Mintz, one could argue that one of Trump's brightest spots so far as president has been the speed and efficiency at which he's appointed people to the bench. He has been really, really successful at that. He has made a successful Supreme Court appointment, and he has already appointed eight appellate judges. That's the most in one year into a presidency since uh, President Richard Nixon. He has nominated a total of 59 federal judges with 14 who have been successfully concerned for confirmed so far. Trump is busy reshaping America's courts, something that he said he wanted to do during the campaign. But how are they being reshaped? And what will this mean for Trump's legacy and the future of the country's judicial system? Joining us now to talk about this mad dash to pack the courts is Robert Sedler, a distinguished professor at Wayne State University Law School. Bob, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yes, always good to see you and hear your voice on these issues. Uh, let's let's first talk about the speed and the efficiency of this. Uh, why has he been able to do so much so quickly? Is it just because uh, he's got control, uh, Republican control of the Senate and they haven't pushed back?
2: Well, I think that's correct. I mean, federal judges, both on the Court of Appeals and the district court, are what are called officers of the United States. Constitution says the president shall nominate and, with the advice of the Senate, appoint officers of the United States. Uh, and by long tradition, the president nominates members of his own party. Prior to the Democrats changing the Senate rules in the Obama administration, it would take 60 votes to... Uh, confirm a judge, with the result that I think the presidents were perhaps a bit less ideological, made sure that their judges would receive well-qualified ratings. Mm -hmm. Well, this changed with the Obama administration, where the Republicans in the Senate were holding up Obama nominees. The Democrats changed the rules— have a simple majority. What goes around comes around. Now that you have a Republican president and a Republican Senate, the nominees can be confirmed, except where there's some pushback by Republicans, and they have put some pressure on the president to withdraw some nominations. Conservatives truly believe that it's important that they have control over the federal courts, and I think that this can be exaggerated in part. Ninety percent of the cases coming before federal courts of appeal, including constitutional ones, mm-hmm. are non-controversial and the unanimous decisions. Where it breaks down is where you have a ideological-driven controversial cases. You know, I was one of the lawyers in DeBoer versus Snyder where we successfully challenged Michigan's ban on marriage for same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. We had won the case before Judge Friedman. It came up to the Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. There had been four other Court of Appeals decisions, and with one exception, judges appointed by Democratic presidents said the ban uh, was unconstitutional, Judges appointed by Republican presidents said it was constitutional. We drew two judges who had been appointed by a Republican president, and we lost the case two to one in the Sixth Circuit, (laughs) and that's why it went to the Supreme Court where we won it. Where you see two to one decisions in the Court of Appeals, not always, but more frequently than not than not, you will find two judges appointed by a Democrat by one, or a Republican. Yeah, right. So clearly, it makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, there's only a limited number of cases that can go to the Supreme Court. They hear about 70 cases a year. Most of them are non-constitutional cases, and most of them are not all that controversial. They're a limited number of five to four decisions. Yeah. So you're not, you don't see a dramatic turnaround, but what you there are 11 courts of appeal from circuits and one from the District of Columbia. It's also important where a majority of the judges are because the full court can hear a case. It's called on bank. It means the full court. There are three courts of appeal, the Fifth Circuit, the Eighth Circuit, and our Sixth Circuit, where you have a majority of Republican appointees. In the other circuits, you have a majority of Democratic appointees. I think I'm right on that. Yeah. And as I like to say, what goes around comes around. <laughs> right. During One the, party packs uh, and when the they're in
0: power, and then the other comes in and, and does it right behind them.
2: During the Obama administration, Republican attorneys general would challenge Obama regulations in, say, Texas, mm-hmm. where that case would go to the Fifth Circuit, where you have a majority of Republican appointees. Now that things have flipped, Democratic attorney generals are suing in states like Washington, which goes to the Ninth Circuit, a majority of Democratic appointees, Massachusetts, or uh, a majority of Democratic appointees, or the District of Columbia Circuit. So, what goes around comes around, things
0: change. But not so dramatically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about the things that, uh, that that are in play here, uh, the issues that are in play in the courts that perhaps Donald Trump or other Republicans want to move the needle on by putting these judges uh, onto these benches. There are issues relating to equality,
2: LGBT equality. hmm uh, there's a lot of resistance some places, as you know, to the decision—we like to call it the bore, but it's really over <laughs> uh about marriage equality. Uh, The—you um, saw a, uh theres a question coming up about whether Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, right. which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex, also includes sexual orientation. Right. The US court It's the, the next step in that's the, the, next, that's the in battle. the battle for
0: and equality for uh, clearly, LGBT. Clearly, that's
2: the that's the battle. Yeah. Uh, the, the Trump administration has sort of modified uh, an Obama-era regulation, which now will now allows employers to oppose contraception for their women employees on quote religious grounds. Right. My own view is that that is a preference for a religion that violates the Establishment Clause. Mm -hmm. A federal judge uh, has just held that the process of the regulation was illegal. So that's the kind of issue that's going to come up. Now, the media often says, well, that case is headed to the Supreme Court. No one knows what cases (laughs) the court will decide. But these cases are resolved initially by federal courts of appeal. Yeah. And that's why it's going to make a difference in the cases whether you have a majority of judges appointed by a Republican president or a majority appointed by a Democratic president. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and my guest is Bob Sedler. He is a distinguished professor at Wayne State University Law School. We are talking about judges. Federal judges. Donald Trump has, in his first year, uh, been able to confirm more judges in his first year than anyone since President Richard Nixon. Fourteen successfully confirmed so far and already eight appellate judges on the bench and one Supreme Court appointment. What is the reason that this is happening, and what is the implication of what's happening here? How will this change the law in the United States and the way the law affects our lives here in the United States? What do you think about uh, what do you think about the breakneck pace with which they are doing these confirmations? What do you think about the nominees for these seats who, in some cases, seem really unqualified? We heard. A clip earlier from Matthew Peterson, who was being questioned by Senator John Kennedy, a Republican uh, who had questions about basic legal things that uh, Peterson didn't know. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Tell us what you think uh, about the changes, the potential changes in the judiciary uh, because of Donald Trump's presidency. Uh, l- let's let's talk a little more about sort of how this fits historically. Uh, as you point out, there's sort of a seesaw, yo-yo effect here, right? Uh, one party does this, and then the other party does the uh, the opposite. But federal judges serve for life; uh, they, they they don't have to retire at any at any point. Um, is Given, given how fast this has happened in the first year of this presidency, does it set this presiden- presidency up to have more of a mark on the judiciary than other, than other presidencies?
2: A lot of it depends on whether the Republicans main con- maintain control of the Senate well, sure. after the yeah. 2018 election, which is likely. But see, one of the reasons why there are so many vacancies— is that when the Republicans controlled the Senate in uh, President Obama's second term after 2014, they were very slow in confirming nominees. So there are a lot of vacancies. Should the Democrats flip the Senate in 2018, then the pace of confirmation would slow very much. So it is a political thing. But as you know, Steve, Steve, our 18th century Constitution wasn't supposed to work with political parties. The framers didn't think there would be any. So what you have is a constant interaction between our 18th century Constitution and the two-party political system. Right,
0: which it never contemplated.
2: Never contemplated. Until about maybe 30 years ago, appointments to the federal courts were non controversial. The senators had a great deal of influence, Mm -hmm. and they still do, in a way. Now, Senator Levin and Stabenow appointed a group of lawyers to interview and make recommendations for appointments to the federal district courts. Now, that's not done uh, in the Trump administration. Nonetheless, the senators are very important. It is a way that senators make political payoffs. That is, they get lawyers to do work for them in the hope that the lawyer will be nominated for a federal judgeship. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's especially true at the district court level. If this is politics, it is, but that is because our constitutional system is based on power of the president, senators, representatives, who were supposed to be non-political. Right. That's the right. uh, d- uh, inconsistency that yeah. we have to live with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDT. If you want to join the conversation talking about judges, give us a call. 313 1019 is the number. That's 313 1019 Let's go to Al. Al in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hey, right. happy holidays. Yeah, you too.
1: Um, Okay, my comment about the judges, because when I heard about this and so forth, is that you know these are appellate ju- or circuit judges and so forth, and they handle appeals on the federal level and so forth. Is that you know seeing this and so, listening to the clip, the guy, the senator, I can't, I don't, I can't recall his name. He has like multiple law degrees, right? So he's not like, and he's Republican, so he's not some Democrat doing, you know, I'm trying to poke, you know, get you because you're, you know, your Trump nominee or whatever. And it seems like this just shows the constant competence that not only does Trump have, but the voters had it who who elected him because they didn't realize what was coming down the pipe when they elected this particular individual for or as president. And it seems like is not even like, you know, I'm going through the motions or whatever, it just seems like I have to monitor a president of the United States and I elect people because either I'm getting craft or something. Mm-hmm. There's because you can't tell me that you you're electing you're nominating people to federal benches who have never tried a case, never been, you know, or any sort who have never done any you know like pro bono work or nothing. You're just people with law degrees who have no idea what the court what the
0: court system is about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Al, thanks very much uh, for that. When we come back, uh, we're going to get to what Al's talking about in terms of qualification. I want to talk about how the founders uh, contemplated qualifications for these things when they were talking about the confirmation process. Uh, We'll be right back on Detroit Today. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Robert Sedler. He's a distinguished professor at Wayne State University Law School. We're talking about the accelerated pace with which Donald Trump, in his first year as president, has been able to get federal judges confirmed. Fourteen successfully confirmed so far, eight to appellate courts, and one Supreme Court appointment that is the fastest pace since Richard Nixon was president more than 40 years ago. What do we think about that? What does that mean about the future of the law and the way it interacts with our lives here in America? Give us a call. 313 1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter. And hashtag Detroit today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation, uh, Bob. Uh, w- w- we were talking. Uh, there was a caller just before the break uh, who who talked about qualification. Uh, we've seen a couple, at least, uh, uh, nominees for federal courts who don't seem to know much about the law at all. Um, th- the founders did contemplate that problem. They did talk in the Federalist Papers, in particular, about why Senate confirmation was going to prevent presidents, for instance, from nominating people with no qualifications because they'd be embarrassed by that Senate process. Doesn't seem to be working out quite that way right now. Oh, so this is our constitutional
2: system of checks and balances. You're absolutely right. The framers relied on the Senate to ensure that people were qualified. The Constitution uses the term "advice and consent, which means that the framers contemplated that the president would actually discuss appointments with members of the Senate. But here's where our two-party political system comes in. Republican presidents want to nominate conservatives, more conservatives. Democrats want to nominate more liberals. Now I'm going to say something that will probably be very controversial. (laughs) I have said it doesn't matter if federal judges aren't very smart. (laughs) What I mean by that is that they all all have law clerks. And every year I write recommendations for our top students to clerk with federal judges. Usually start off with district judges and sometimes they move up to the federal courts of appeal. The judges get hundreds of applications from all over the country for people who want to clerk For a federal judge, Mm -hmm. it is a very prestigious credential, especially for court of appeals judges. And the judges, the the clerks can help the judges. So I'm only (laughs) being half facetious. But we do want qualified people. But again, we have a political system where when the president and the Senate are going to have the same party affiliation, it's going to be fairly rare where the Senate will re, will push back, but it has on at least a couple of appointments where the, the judges who have been rated not qualified by the American Bar Association, which is very rare, mm-hmm. and at least two of them have been, two of the nominations have been withdrawn. So again, the Senate is supposed to act as a check. It does to some limited extent where politics are involved. Now. With eight years of President Obama, even with Republican resistance in the last two, he has added a lot of federal judges. And some of the federal courts of appeal, like the District of Columbia Court of Appeals, probably the most important, has flipped where a majority of judges have been appointed by Democratic presidents. President Trump will serve four years, maybe eight years— and he will have a lot of appointments, and especially if he serves eight years, uh, at the end of President Trump's term, you could well have a majority of judges on many of the courts of appeal appointed by Republican
0: presidents. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. David in Royal Oak. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thank you, Stephen. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Uh, I've been voting for 40 years, and I've always encouraged anyone I talk with to consider what the courts will look like uh, when voting for a president. But I, I really feel this is one place where the founding fathers got it wrong. I don't think the you know the Senate or the Congress uh, is enough checks and balance when you've got lifetime appointments. I really feel that this lifetime appointment is. I guess my question is in a two-party
0: system. How bad do things have to get before we change? Before those? we change that? That's a really interesting question, uh, Bob. We only have about uh, two minutes left, but two I want to get you to you know, should we be looking back at that provision? First,
2: forget about changing the constitution. <laughs> it's very the hard. The were incredible <laughs> we egotists. We have done it in forty years, right? They made it so difficult. Uh, you need a uh, two-thirds vote in both houses and three-quarters approval by the states. Give, we give it up. There aren't going to be any constitutional amendments. You got to remember that life expectancy in 1787 was not what it is today. And I say this at age 82. I'm glad that life expectancy has has increased. So that was, an, that was, was another, uh, another difference. But I will say this. My experience, and it's a 40, almost 50 years' experience of either litigating cases in federal courts or observing cases is that most federal judges try very hard to be not only competent, but to follow constitutional doctrine as declared by the Supreme Court. Where the differences come is where there's wiggle room, so to speak, where you don't have absolutely controlling Supreme Court precedent. And that's where the judge's ideological views come in. We saw this, as I said earlier, with respect to marriage for same-sex couples. But, you know, this is our system. It's an 18th century constitution. It operates with political parties. Somehow we muddle through. Yeah,
0: yeah. We always seem to figure it out. Uh, I, I I, always think that... Uh, you know, these things get into high dudgeon at certain times, and then they sort of fade back. The republic seems to be able to uh, survive this In stuff indoors. somehow, right? All right. Bob Sadler, a distinguished professor at Wayne State University Law School, as always. Great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. All right. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis and Jake Neer. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our associate producers are Gus Navarro, Aaron Allen, and Ziad Butch. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDEP's. Sam Bobian. Remember, if you missed any of the conversation today here on Detroit Today, you don't have to miss out. All you got to do is go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. You can take us with you. Listen when you're ready. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tomorrow.